Join Jessica Smith on the Like a Girl podcast, where she defies odds, shares inspiring stories, and empowers women to embrace their inner leaders. Tune in for a transformative journey. So this is this is where we're at. This is what we're doing. I am pregnant. It's 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 sunk in by now, right? Like I, I'm I'm pregnant. This is what we're doing. I'm having this baby. It's God's plan, and He's about to bless me with my baby girl, Hayden. So I just know that in order for me to believe that the way this is all went down, that it's, it's just, it's, it's God's plan and it's, it's not what I want, but it's his will. So I'm just knowing that there's something in it for me. And that is, it, it's, it's my baby girl. So I have just found a way in this moment to to just be excited about the journey that I'm going to begin because I was done. I just knew that I was done and I it, that was it. I had to raise these boys and I was done. Now also, something to keep in mind is that we also have my nephew. So we really have three boys at this point because my nephew, Devante, is with us and we are raising him as well. So, again, I have all these boys. I'm done. This has got to be my baby. Now, if if I'm if I'm really being honest here, other than I have already went down this weight loss journey, as I said, we've spent a lot of money with cosmetics. Like I, I'm on this whole nother thing. Like I'm 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 looking to own this business and really focus on my career and building generational wealth for my family. That was a big part of I'm done having kids. But if I'm being honest, there was always this other issue in the back of my head. And listen, this is something that women that have been in bad relationships, dysfunctional relationships. And usually those of us that have is because we come from dysfunctional relationships, right? Like it's, it's, it's that, that, that generational curse. Um, if, if that's too spooky for you, whatever you want to call it, it's in our bloodline. It's not a coincidence that we see this stuff generation after generation after generation, right? So I have identified this thing with Will that, that I was also struggling with. 
okay? And what we do when we're in bad relationships is that when we get in that next relationship, we carry that baggage in with us, but we also do this compare thing. So I'm I'm going to use my example, right? I had this relationship. Um, it was abusive. It was mentally, physically, emotionally abusive. This guy not only had a drug addiction, but one that he was physically dependent on. I don't know about you, but it's, it's one thing where someone has an addiction where they do something and, and it's an addiction, but, but it's a whole nother level when there is a physical addiction, especially when you, when you care about that person. And if they don't have those drugs and if they don't get high, like they're physically sick and you're watching them go through these withdrawals. So, you know, I carried all of that stuff. And listen, when you've been through that, let's just be real. The bar is not set very high. So I'm looking at this man like, wow. And and, 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 and at this stage of our relationship, he has already made many positive changes. I have seen this man grow and develop very quickly. And I'm telling myself, nobody's perfect, right? There's no such thing as a as a, as a perfect man. And this man is setting goals. He's tithing. You want to, to me, that's, that's, that's sexy. He's tithing. He's in his word. He's working hard. Oh, and by the way, what? He's sexy. Like, and this is, this is, this is through my lens, through my eyes, right? man is fine. Like what, what else could you ask for? There's just so many things. But I knew deep down inside that I had identified something that for me was a trigger. So when we met, I know that, you know, he, he told me, you know, back in the day, you know, he used to be a, a, a a big weed smoker, but that's not how I, that's not how I, that's not what I saw. Like, I didn't see that behavior by the time him and I were together and definitely not by the time that we, you know, had moved in together. I, I didn't, I didn't see that part of him. But, but what I did see early on is that he was a drinker. And again, we drink, we socially drink, not a big deal. But for me growing up in a household where my mother was an alcoholic, I know I, I talk a lot about her drug addiction because that was a big part of what broke up our family, but she didn't just have a drug addiction. Um, she was what I call a functioning um, alcoholic as well. And what made her functioning was she was an at-home mom. 
And I think I've mentioned this before. Pauline's house was Pauline organized. I mean, there was a lot of kids running around. You know, we we were very active kids and she kept a clean house. When we got off the school bus, we walked in the door. You you were smelling food from the driveway. Pauline had it. It was going down in the house. One day there might be beans, neck bones, cornbread. The next day there was, you know, fidel, tostadas, all kind of, you just, you didn't know what you were going to get. But she always had a clean house. She always had dinner on the table, breakfast on the table. She took care of her kids. She took care of her husband. You would have never known that this woman was a drug addict and an alcoholic. Many of nights we went to sleep and, you know, she, she would listen to her music, play her record player in the living room, and she would drink by herself all night long. And many nights or many mornings we would get up and go to school and she would be passed out in the bathroom or maybe you'd wake up in the middle of the night to hear her, you know, throwing up in the bathroom. Or maybe it would be a night where she was in rage and she was violent. Now, thankfully, I was a baby most of that time. So I really did not, I, I mean, I was there and I had the opportunity to see it and feel it, but she was not as what I would call um, abusive to me as she might have been to my brother or my sister. But I carried that baggage with me. And the first thing is that I was always conscious of it myself. And again, I would call myself a social drinker. I never really got into drinking too much. Even now, if I drink, it's a glass of wine. In many cases, I might not finish it. I might do a happy hour. But what I am aware of is that this is something that is in my bloodline. Uh, my grandfather, my mother's father, was an alcoholic. And on the streets for many years dealing with this. Two of his daughters would become alcoholics and some of their children today are alcoholics. So, you know, this thing is real. This thing is real. And again, whatever you want to call it, it is there. You got to acknowledge it. You got to be aware of it. You got to get in front of that thing because it'll come for you and it'll come for your children. So I would always be aware of how much someone would drink. It's just something that I always um, watched 
and I just get uncomfortable. I was able through therapy to identify the issues that I had with food that caused my weight problems. And one of the things that they helped me identify is that, you know, growing up, uh, my mom and her sister's um, family, holidays, always had drinking involved and most of the time ended with the police being there. We do not have the best memories of parties, even kids' birthday parties turned into uh, drinking parties for the adults that then turned into all kind of mess. I'm talking about Somebody could get stabbed. Um, there was a uh, a story I could tell you about. Uh, my brother was only like 17 years old. And there was a party happening. And my mom tells him, go get my gun. He goes and gets her gun. And, and I don't remember if the story was, he was shooting, she was shooting. I know that they were there and there were guns and we were inside and I think it was my aunt's boyfriend that they were shooting at. I mean, crazy shit. And I don't have to remember the details to know that it it it, it doesn't, um, it's not an environment that, children feel comfortable in. And so for me, I remember many of those times just going into the kitchen and grabbing whatever there was, taking it in the room and just eating, binging. And it brought me comfort. It, it, it calmed me down. And so it got to the point where um, that's where I really started abusing food and had to identify that's where that came from. So I'm very conscious of that now. I, I remember as kids, we used to talk about, I can't wait to get my own house. I can't wait until I grow up. This, this shit. And remember, we were little, we were little badass kids. That's what we were saying. This shit ain't gonna happen in my house. And I meant that. And I'm not saying that I didn't expose my kids to not so great things, but I can guarantee you that that environment was not that because I was determined that I was going to stop that generational curse with me and in my family and in my household. So I had identified that Will had something that seemed to be familiar to me when it came to drinking. And I also had identified that his dad had that same thing. 
And so there was, there was, there was a part of me that said, and you do not want to have kids. Like you have to think about this because I already had a feeling, don't get me wrong, I, I love my boys. But I also identified that I made some poor choices. And that was that was a piece of it. So that was always like in the back of my head, like I've identified this thing and we haven't talked about it. And here's the thing. He didn't drink every day. As a matter of fact, he didn't drink often. He was not violent. He was not disrespectful. None of that. But what I identified is that whether it was once a month or once a year, when he did drink, he didn't know how to stop. That was a trigger for me. And I had convinced myself that, listen, he's not a cheater. He's not a liar. He's not abusive. He's not a drug addict. He's a good guy. But I always felt like if there is an end to this marriage, it is going to be due to his drinking because I can't, I can't deal with it. About three years prior to me being pregnant or Hayden being born, there was an incident. And I can't even be 100% accurate on all of the details, but one of the things that Will did, like many of us do, is he would start drinking and then get in the car and drive. The problem was that because he didn't know when to stop, he also did not know you're too drunk to drive. Well, this particular evening, I want to say he was out with some friends, um, whatever the case may be, he ended up in a conversation with Michi, my ex-husband. And I don't 
know the details. Uh, as a matter of fact, he recently this came up and I didn't know the details. But what I do know is that, uh, you know, Michi was throwing shots and um, Will was upset. They had some words. And then him and I started arguing. And by this time, he was like beyond his limit. And he got upset and left in the car. Now, the the crazy thing is that we had had a conversation. I don't know if I mentioned this previously, but, you know, it was almost like the the Black Widow conversation. And it was it was a joke, but I said to him, you know, there there's this uh, protection that God has over me when it comes to relationships. And if someone isn't doing right by me, he just sends him to jail. And he's like, what? are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's the craziest thing. Like, you know, things just, I just start praying like, Lord help me. And then next thing I know they go to jail. And he's like, well, first of all, I have a question. Like, are you sending them to jail? I'm like, no, in, in both cases, I had nothing to do with them going to jail at any level. And he's like, well, I don't, I don't plan on going to jail. And I said, well, you know, as long as you do right by me, you're good. Otherwise, I'm just, I'm just telling you historically what happens and what my experience is, sir. I am not responsible for what happens after that. And so it was kind of this, this, this running joke. And that night, he ends up totaling his car. And I got a call early in the morning. He was in jail. And when he called, he, he, he would beg to differ. But when he called, he was still drunk. And the first thing he said was, you have a curse. And this is your fault. And I'm like, what, what are you, what, what are you talking about? Like, what, what happened? And he was like, I'm in jail. Isn't that what you said? Isn't that what you said that I was going to go to jail? I said, no, actually what I said was, if you did not do right by me, you would go to jail. So is there something else you would like to tell me, sir? And he said, no, I didn't, I didn't do anything. You're the one. And I don't remember what the conversation was or what Michi said to him, but, you know, he he must have said that I said something or I talk. I, I don't know what it, exactly it was, but it wasn't true. I know that. And so I found out that this was his second DUI. And the first one was years before that. And listen, in California, they do not play. They do not play. I'm talking about 
this guy did not have, you know, some crazy criminal background. This, you know, to me, it was extreme. But there was not very many questions asked. He didn't hit anyone. He actually hit the uh, a medium. Like he totaled his own car. And they gave him six months in jail. Like, shit is real now. Like, he's in jail doing six months. And he's like, so, so what are we going to do here? And I'm like, well, the first thing is that I am not going to take responsibility um, for this because you're a grown man and you made those decisions that you made that got you here. The, the, the second thing I'm going to say is that I've already been down this jail road multiple times. The, you know, visiting, you know, um, the writing letters, the collect calls. And I, and I made a promise to myself. And the promise that I made to myself is that I'm, I'm better than this. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not participating in this ever again. And I meant that. And so God knows that I loved this man with all my heart. But I made a promise. I made a promise to myself. I made a promise to God. And I'm not going back on that. And, you know, to this day, he will feel some type of way about, you know, you didn't come to see me. You didn't write me. You know, I, I don't know what you did for those six months, but we were not married. We were dating. And my attitude was, you know, hey, holler at me in six months, see where I'm at. That didn't mean that. I didn't love him and I didn't care about him and I didn't miss him because I really did. But I had to say to myself, like, you have to have learned something. That was very difficult for me not to go and see him and and, and, and not to, I'm not going to say I wasn't there for him because, because I was. But I had boundaries in terms of what that looked like. And, you know, if Mr. Wright knocked on my door during those six months and swept me off of my feet, would I have been open to that? Maybe. But he didn't. And he came home. And... That was not the end of his drinking, which further told me, and again, this is three years prior to me getting pregnant. It further told me, like, I'm thinking to myself, if that were me, like, I would be done. That was my wake-up call. Six months in jail. And again, this is not... You know, I, I've met some dudes that like 
that's kind of their comfort zone. I mean, my my ex-husband, this dude, he's he's been in jail since like juvenile. And he might have came home for a little bit, but then he went back and then he went back and then he went back. And at some point, that's what normal feels like. That wasn't well. So I'm like, okay. And there was this period of time where I just became the like nagging wife because I just didn't understand. I didn't understand why he couldn't see that he had a problem. I couldn't understand why me giving him an ultimatum that this, this is not going to work. Like this is going to end because you choose drinking over this family. Every time I suspected that he was going to have a drink on the weekend after work, whatever it was, that was it. Like I was on one. It was just, and maybe somewhere deep down inside, I'm like, if I make this dude's life miserable every time he has a drink, surely he wouldn't want to drink anymore. But you know what? The crazy thing about this is the more I went off, the more I yelled, the more I screamed, the more attitude I had, the more I told him, you need to stop, the more he drank. The more often he drank. So I'm like, this is a problem. Something's got to give. I don't want to live like this. Now, if you ask my boys, they would probably be very surprised in all of this that they're hearing because between Will and I, we somehow kept it all in the dark. Now, I get kids know stuff that we don't know that they know, but they didn't really know the extent to this problem. Because he didn't sit and drink in front of them. He would go somewhere by himself, wait for the kids to go to sleep, hide the bottles afterwards. He understood that it wasn't something that he wanted them to be exposed to how he was exposed to it. And that's what let me know that he knew that there was some problem because why do you have to do it in hiding? So what did I do? There's only one thing I could do. Pray. Thank you for tuning in to another insightful episode of Lead Like a Girl. We hope you found today's podcast valuable. If you enjoyed our podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on your preferred platform. 
Your feedback is crucial in helping us continue to provide high-quality content. If you found the content inspiring, we would like to encourage you to share this podcast with your network. Stay tuned for more inspiring stories and leadership insights on Lead Like a Girl. Until next time, lead with passion and purpose.